Sunday this morning. Yes, Resurrection Day. I've had, you know, strangely, I've had conversations with people recently about the Sabbath and why we worship on Sunday instead of on on Saturday. And uh, it's a good opportunity to get into the topic of the resurrection in the discussion. And so uh, I praise the Lord that He is risen, that He didn't stay in the grave. And because we know that, we can look forward to our resurrection, we can look forward to the rapture, we can look forward to the kingdom as well. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, we're going to finish chapter 9 today. I know I said that last week and we didn't get it finished, but we're going to finish it today um, and then start into chapter 10. And uh, let's open in a word of prayer again this morning and we'll get into the word. Lord, I thank you, uh, Father, again for your resurrection, for Jesus' death on the cross, um, the perfect life that he lived, the patience that he had with the disciples as well as the Pharisees, um, and Lord, as you have with us. So Lord, I pray today that, uh, Lord, that we live a life um, worthy of you calling us your children, uh, Lord, in obedient righteousness, in holiness. Uh, and Lord, in giving you the praise and the glory and the honor that you deserve. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we were in chapter 9 and we started in verse 6. And I think I got maybe to about verse 8 and we had uh, a, quite a bit of discussion, good discussion about things um, that this was talking about. And uh, I kind of bounced around quite a bit in my notes last week, so if it sounds like I'm repeating some things, I probably am, uh, but I just don't want to miss uh, some of the things that are in there and, uh, and continue on. So if we pick it up at about verse 8, it says that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. And in verse ten, uh, 9, he says, As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Um, so the question I want to ask this morning is, what kind of impact does cheerful generosity have in our world today? It's huge. Yeah. So we were just very polite, very upbeat, to talk to us exactly about the water, which is the right way to tithe. And we just need to get cheaper. Yeah. You know, extra extra French fries always makes me happy, too. <laughs> you must have been at Five Guys, because they do that for everybody there, you know. <laughs> It does. And even if the world and if, if the majority of the people around you don't acknowledge it, it will change one person. And oftentimes if it changes one person, it will change another one after that. And it will change another one after that. So the testimony about Christ goes forward. And so what he talks about in the remaining verses of this chapter is he's saying that if you are generous to the people in Jerusalem, the, the people who are suffering, the 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 
the effect of your generosity will cause praise to God to go out far beyond the Jerusalem walls. It will cause, people will read about it, they'll hear about it, they'll, they'll understand that, wow, the people in Jerusalem who are going through this suffering, God has been taking care of it. And it's not so that the people in Jerusalem can come back and say, oh, thank the Corinthian people, let me tell you all about what they did. It's so that they get on their knees before the Lord and they say, Lord, bless them more. And they pray more earnestly for the people in Corinth, for their spiritual growth and for their... Um, their needs to be continually met and they continue to pray like that and people are praising God and glorifying God as a result. So the picture is the motivation behind it is for God to be glorified through it. So God is able to bl bless you and he gives <coughs> the an example in verses 10, 11, 10 and 11. He says, Now to he who supplies the seed to the sower... And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest, the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And though, and through, excuse me, yeah, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So the end result is for God to be glorified, for Him to be praised, for Him to be thanked. And I can't help thinking about Thursday night's Bible study with the men. You know, when he talks about God supplying the seed, we, we, uh, <laughs> we confused ourselves a little bit. Did God create vegetation or did he create the seeds that were in the ground? <laughs> because when you think about it, it says uh, that God created the land. He created the vegetation. He created this, this, this. But then a little bit later, there is a description of how it was created. It says God put the seeds in the ground, and the ground sprouted up. And the seeds sprouted up. So, you know, you look at that kind of thing, and you, and you, and you have to question, um, if, if you really truly know that everything that we have is provided by God, do we live like we believe that everything we have is provided by God? Do we give generously when God just says give it, even though uh, you don't know if, you, if you're going to have a job the following week or those kinds of things? And I don't say that to say that, that God's telling you to give to the church and the church you know, is going to take your money and you have no say-so and that's it. Uh, but, but the point is he, he's making, as we looked at earlier in 1 Corinthians, is he says each of you decide in your heart what God has called you to give and, and that's going to be different for everybody. It's not going to be the same. It's not going to be a universal, everybody has to give this much. But he's saying if your motive is, Lord, I want to please you, and I want to, I want to glorify you, and I want other people to be blessed and praise you as a result of generosity, the motive is never to come back to us and, and get the gift because God tells us if, if that's the case, you've received your gift. I mean, we can read in, in Matthew chapter 6, um, if you want to flip there real quick, just the first few verses, Jesus addresses giving to needy um, in the first few verses. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, 
you'll have your, your reward. You will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets or as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you that if you have received, they have received their re reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your given, giving may be done in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so sometimes there, there are occasions where that's just completely unavoidable. You know, somebody's going to see what you gave, you know, but the, the motive and the purpose behind it is never to get the credit for yourself. Right, so, right, there's a passage in Proverbs that describe, that says, let others speak well of you. Right, 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 and so Jesus, in this context, in the, in the, in the chapter before, he's standing there and he's talking to a crowd of people, and there's a mixture of people following Christ, and there's a mixture of people that want to justify their own actions. So they're really trying to catch Jesus in some sort of wrong speaking. And so Jesus, <laughs> he's standing there and says, you know what, when you give to the needy, don't, don't go in and go, hey, everybody, uh, you see what I'm doing here? And, and give your money. Um, because there are people in that crowd that are doing that, and he's, he's telling everybody there, don't practice that. Yes? Well, that's a good question. Um, and, and we've talked about accountability among the leaders. Okay, so if, if someone aspires to be uh, in a position of leadership, they also have to be willing to be put into an accountability position. That doesn't mean I have to know what Wayne gives or, or something like that. Right. Yeah, that's why I said that. That's why I say the amount, the amount is, you know, is going to be different for every individual. Okay. Right. Yeah, and so I, I say I, this, the answer to that question will be the same is, is we have the right to ask, is e each individual being right. faithful? Right. Yeah. So if somebody approaches you, there would have to be some sort of evidence of unfaithfulness already. Okay? So um, if there were something 
if there was a concern of unfaithfulness in maybe another area, because I don't see what anybody puts in. Uh, I don't see the amount. I don't even see because usually when the, when the offering plate starts going around and things like that, I'm focused on getting into worship, and I'm not really even paying attention to what each person puts in. Nobody ever sees me put it in because I go into the office before church starts and put it in because I'm not out there, you know, in... Uh, so nobody ever sees it, but I'm not offended one bit if somebody comes to Tina and says, hey, is Dave Mannion, is he giving faithfully? I would say, I would say absolutely if it's somebody who is, who is responsible for keeping me accountable. So if it's Jim, if it's Wayne, uh, if it's another leader in the church that is saying, hey, I see some things in Dave's life, I just want to check up on this, uh, so that not not for the sake of coming to, to that person and going, that it's not for the sake of coming to that person and coming down on them with judgment, but in just like Galatians, um, Galatians talks about, it's not a matter of how much. They don't, they, don't, they don't have the right to ask how much. So if we go to Galatians chapter 6, He's not talking to the people inside the body of the church. He's talking about the people out there. Okay? He's not talking about in here. Right. Right. So I don't go to the chamber office and say, this is how much I give to my church. Hey, everybody. Galatians chapter 6. What's that? I don't. Yeah. I don't think the government needs to know what I give to nonprofit organizations because I don't give for the purpose of getting something in in return. You know, the purpose for it is because I want to give it, and it's my right to do that, and they don't need to know. Right, right. And that's part of what God's talking about when he says, if you, if you receive compensation or if you receive some sort of credit back from man, you've got your reward. Your reward in heaven has been forfeited. But in uh, Galatians chapter 6, what you're talking about, there's, there's a caution that's given when we, when we keep each other accountable. In verse, the first couple verses, he says, Brothers and sisters, of course, he's talking to people in the body of believers. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. The temptation there is to be judgmental. It's not necessarily to be tempted to get into the same sin that they're involved in. It's tempting to, to elevate yourself and, and put the other person down. And he's saying, don't do that. He said, you come to them on the same level ground that there's a possibility every single one of us can fall to any kind of sin. You come to them and you say, hey, you know what? I understand what you're going through. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But he, you come to them on a level where you say that I'm not immune to what you are dealing with. I'm not immune to falling, but I want to walk with you. I want to help you. I want to lift you up, and, and you can do the same for me. And that's the warning. So in verse 2, he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves, and each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Um, so there's, there's a caution there to understand that every single one of us are saved by grace. Every single one of us receive grace the same way, by obedience. 
And um, how easy is it to, to surrender to Christ? How easy is it when you have someone that's being judgmental? How easy is it to turn away from what you're dealing with? Most of the time when it's met with judgment, you, instead of actually stepping into righteousness and going, you know what, wow, you're right. Most people will say, you know what, I need to hide this better. I can tell you, <laughs> I've been there. I've, I've been met with judgment before, and, and instead of actually getting right with God, there have been times early in my life where instead of getting right with God, I just learned how to hide it. I found a, a, a new hiding place for my sin, you know, and, it, and, it, and God is, continues to pursue, um, and unfortunately, until I learned to just say, you know what, Lord, this has got to be on you. And when I opened up, all of a sudden, here's a brother that is exercising Galatians chapter 6 and says, you know what, I want to walk with you. I want to help you with that. You know, I want to I lift you up. And <clears throat> that's difficult to find in a body of believers where there's not people doing individual Bible study and they're not watching their own life. They're not watching their own doctrine closely. It's hard to find somebody who is willing to step into that role and be humble at the same time while lifting up another brother or sister. So um, Paul, in 2 Corinthians, he continues to go back to the motive of giving praise to God, elevating God, elevating Jesus um, and what he did. Of course, we celebrate Easter today because it's the, the day that we recognize as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and if the resurrection is not acknowledged, then there's so many other parts of the Christian walk that become null and void if Jesus doesn't raise from the dead. And so he continues to, to really push towards that. Um, looking at verse, verses 10 and 11, or, or excuse me, verses 12 through the end of the chapter, he said, this service... Yes, yes, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Starting in verse 12, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. And so when he ends that, thanks be to God for the indescribable gift, he's not talking about the gift of finances toward Jerusalem. He's talking about the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. And because of that, that's got to be the motive behind what they're doing. And I, I mentioned it last week, I underlined the word proved in verse 13. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God. Who are you proving it to? <laughs> She's pointing up. You're proving to God. What, it, what does it matter if I prove it to you or to the people in the community or this or that? I, God is saying, you know, and Jim's put it this way before, 
we look around and we want to say who's saved and who's not saved. And we look at different things, we look at different aspects, different levels of obedience and stuff like, oh, this person's saved because they're faithful in church every Sunday. Um, this person is saved because they give more money. And this person is saved because of that or this or that. And we can go like that. And God from heaven is looking down and going, okay, who's obeying what I say all the time? doesn't matter if it's you're obeying on Sunday. It doesn't matter if you obey on Sunday if, the rest of the, if you live like the devil the rest of the week. Right? You know, you can come. You can be the biggest giver. You can... Uh, you can sing, you can take communion, you can do all of these things, but if you live the rest of the week and you don't acknowledge God the whole rest of your week, you don't live for Christ the rest of the week, Jesus isn't looking, going, well, you did pretty good on Sunday, so I guess the rest of the week we're just going to look, look the other way. He's just looking and he's saying, who is obeying me? Who wants to live for me and who doesn't? The ones who want to live for him, uh, he gives uh, the gift of righteousness and the, those who don't they have that choice but he also makes the consequences clear that they will not inherit the kingdom of God and they will go to hell for that and not that that's what he wants he doesn't want that um, but he doesn't force anybody into submission he doesn't force anybody into obedience and so um, proving the proving is to God it's not to uh, any one of us or to other people it will be obvious because the fruit will be there um, Jesus describes in John 15 he says that that every person who follows Christ will produce fruit what does that mean it means that we open up the Bible and if the Bible says that we should be doing this and we should take th these things out of our life and change allow God to change us then we just do it and all of a sudden our family's going what's the matter with you you used to do this this and this and now you you know, what happened? And then you say, well, I've been reading my Bible and I want to live for Christ. I understand some of the things that he did. And, and so sometimes, <laughs> I was just talking with somebody this morning, and sometimes your family is the hardest ones to talk to about that. Um, they're, they, they're the hard, because, <laughs> because they know the most about you. You know, <laughs> and, and you can't erase that. You can't erase your life from birth up until conversion to Jesus Christ or walking with Christ. Yes. You bring up a very important point. So if you were a drinker and a carouser, I'm just using you because you brought it up as an example. If you were a drinker and a carouser for this long of your life, who is around you during those days? Other drinkers and carousers. So what has to change? Not only you change inside, all of a sudden, you either step back away from those people or you look at them and you go, you know what? I can't be doing this anymore and I want to invite you to, do, to, to go this way with me. And one of two things are going to happen. You're either going to have some friends that thank you for that and praise God, or they're going to go, I'm sorry, we can't be friends anymore. Yeah. And, and in some cases, they'll say that for a little while, and then God will get a hold of them too. But the hard part is, is until 
a person who doesn't know God sees a clear picture uh, of that in somebody's life, they're never going to change. They may never, they may never change, I should say. I, I shouldn't say they never will because God can reach down and he can touch anybody um, that wants to know that there's more to life than, than this right here, what I have right now. Um, and that's, that's the focus that Paul is putting on the people in Corinth. This just happens to be one, you know, this is one um, area of their life where there's a, there's a struggle within that body of believers, that church in Corinth, where some are saying, why are you going to give all that money to them for? What do you get in return? Paul's saying, stop looking at the return. He's saying, because the return, if you get the return here, that's it. If you get the return in heaven, it's going to be so much greater than you can even possibly imagine because other people will praise God and God will reward you for that. So um, <clears throat> the proof is in the participation, uh, in, the, in the giving or in the charity, the love. Uh, and this demonstrates the Corinthians' devotion to God. Um, verse 13, actions must always follow your acknowledgement. Um, when you read verse 13, uh, the result is because of their generosity, intercessory prayers from Jerusalem will go out with thanksgiving to God for the Corinthian believers to receive more of God's grace. And so, uh, you know, we talk about the storms that we've had over the last week, and, and I, got, I shared with somebody just a little bit ago that uh, I had just a, a short opportunity. I talked to my son and his wife for just a few minutes about this yesterday. I said, you know, and I think I've shared this with some of you before, but I was, I'm convinced that when the disciples got in the boat to go across the Sea of Galilee and Jesus stayed behind and the storm came up, you guys know the story, and then Jesus comes walking out on the water and he gets in the boat. And what happens when he gets in the boat? What's that? Yeah, he says, you have little faith, and boom, the boat's over to the other side, the storm's gone, sun's shining, <laughs> birds are chirping, everything's fine. And, and, the, and the weird thing about that is Jesus had just fed 5,000 people, well, probably realistically, it's described as 5,000 people, and then women and children. So if you're talking 5,000 married men with a family, you're talking at least... 15 to 20,000 or even more. And how much did he use? He used five loaves and two fish. And he's got 12 baskets left over. And the disciples go out on the Sea of Galilee. And I, I looked at my, son, my daughter-in-law and I said, you know, I'm convinced that if they had Doppler radar, they would have just said, you know what, maybe we should go tomorrow. Right? But they missed the opportunity, they would have missed the opportunity to see what Jesus could do again right after he just performed a miracle. And the reality is, and the purpose of that is I was, I was looking around their yard, their home is still standing, all the other buildings and most of their vehicles are damaged or, or destroyed. They've got one car that didn't get any damage. Um, their house got a little damage, but it was minimal. It wasn't a huge amount. But all of their buildings semi-truck the trailer the pickup truck everything got damaged and so I looked at her and I said you know 
It was really cool that the disciples went through the storm so that they could see Jesus get in the boat with them in the storm and take them to the other side and everything is okay. Their lives are spared. And I said, isn't it cool to look around at all this and go, okay, God, what are you going to do now? And I said, it's not about the material things. It's about the peace that you have inside of your heart to know that God's going to take care of your needs. And she's there and she's like, yeah. She goes, you know, I com- I'm at complete peace with this. And, and it's just awesome to see what God is able to do when we're ready to say, okay, Lord, you already know what happened. This was no shock to you. You knew a tornado was going to come. You knew that two of uh, uh, Judy's trees were going to be ripped out of the ground. And mysteriously, on each side of the house, east and west side of the house, the wind always comes from the west in Mendota, right? A tree on the east side of the house, a tree on the west side of the house, and they both lay down facing north. <laughs> right? They don't touch the house. <laughs> and, you know, a couple pieces of siding come loose, that kind of thing. And you look at that and you go, okay, God, what are you going to do? This was no surprise. This was no shock. What's your purpose? What, who, are you, who do you want to speak to? Who do you want to touch? How do you want to demonstrate your power through this? And, and God is able to be praised through those kinds of attitudes and those kinds of things that happen in our lives. So um, I'm just going to go into to chapter 10. I don't think it's coincidence that, you know, that with the things that are happening now, uh, in the world around us um, that we're starting into chapter 10. Um, there's no easy transition from what we've been studying in 2 Corinthians 1 through 9 and into chapter 10 uh, to the subject that Paul, he's obviously reserved this, this subject for last. Um, it's a difficult subject because it's a direct confrontation that he, that he absolutely cannot avoid. Okay? Um, the ones in the, in the church in Corinth needed to be challenged openly and directly, requiring the Corinthian people to make a decision to a singular devotion to God and to his apostle Paul to bring the gospel message to uh, the Gentile people. So Paul, he, don't, he doesn't like the idea of being in this position, um, but he knows that the situation requires his boldness. And he knows that he's the one that's called to address this issue. Um, and his model, he keeps his model for this situation. And Jesus Christ is his model for the, for the circumstances that he's about to go through. And so what he says in the first few verses, if we just read chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when you with when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In verse 6, and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. 
And so the first verse sounds a lot like most of Paul's introductions to many of his other letters. Yeah, uh, it's kind of similar. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face uh, with you, but bold toward you when away. He's acknowledging that he is the writer. He's the one that's saying this, and he does that in many of his letters. And this is part of the reason why a lot of people believe that originally 2 Corinthians was actually two separate letters that were put together um, in 10 through 13 are uh, a separate letter. Regardless, it's still Scripture. Um, and this, this timidity or, or being timid when face-to-face and bold when he's away, this is not just him acknowledging it, but it's people accusing him. When Paul's here, he's not as bold as when he is, what he is when he writes his letter. When he writes his letters, it's kind of like texting or social media. You'll text things that you won't say to somebody's face. Well, maybe not you guys, because you guys are always gentle and <laughs> kind. <laughs> but you see things, you see things on social media, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you see things on social media that you would not hear somebody say to that person face to face. Am I right? You might, yeah, well, you're a bully. So... <laughs> Yeah. So, and that's what we want to hide behind. And that's what these people are saying. Paul, when Paul writes a letter, he's got a big mouth and he's really bold and he's this. But when he's standing right in front of me, he won't say stuff like that. Paul's saying, I will say things like that. I will confront you on the things that need to be confronted about the righteousness of God. And he says, I don't want to have to do that. I want to be able to write you guys a letter and say, look, this is what God's word says. And this is what we need to be doing. And I want you to say, okay, but if it comes down to it, what, he, what he's doing here is in verse 6 when he says, um, we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. He's telling the people in the church in Corinth that once you have made up your mind that you are on Christ's side and you are going to follow Christ and you are going to acknowledge me as the one who is bringing the message about Jesus Christ to you and and what I am saying is true and he's been saying this all along first Corinthians, second Corinthians and all throughout the New Testament Jesus Christ tells Paul this himself he says you are the one who is going to take the gospel message to the Gentiles and Peter is the one who brings the message to the Jews Paul is saying, once you acknowledge that and you decide whose side you're on, now you can take and we can, we can take the people who are trying to divide and separate and, and, and use the gospel message for their own benefit. And you can say, look, you need to repent or you can get out. There's a door. And so what most churches today have said, you know what? We need to be more accepting of this sin or that sin or we need to be more considerate of the people who choose who make the choice to live like this paul saying once you do that the 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 degradation of the church the body of believers i don't mean the church building i'm talking about the people 
It makes it harder and harder and harder to make a stand for righteousness and for, uh, for holiness for God because there's a blurry picture of salvation now. There's a blurry picture of what the resurrection did. We take grace and we make it cheap. Grace was expensive. It cost my Savior everything. And if we understood that, we'd be a lot bolder, I think, than, than what I am today. Um, so, and like we said earlier, it's your own family sometimes that are the hardest ones to talk to and that, and that you want to love and you want, to, uh, want to, them to know that. So, um, his description in verse 3 and 4 uh, makes it very clear. We'll get deeper into this next week. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war, war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So if we stop right there, what is a stronghold? Oh. <laughs> oh, look at that. So, <laughs> so, so the reminder in that, you, you said a very important word that we love. And, and, you, and Jesus gives it very clearly to us. You can't love those things and love me at the same time. It's impossible. You know, um, you just can't, you can't do that. And it's a constant struggle. And when he calls it a stronghold, it means that we still fight with that, that flesh, that desire that we have to want the things that God doesn't want us to have or, or that he calls sin. Um, and the things that he calls sin, he, it's, not that, it's not that he doesn't want us to have good things and have joys and pleasures and things like that in life. It's because he doesn't want us to have the consequences of what those things bring. And there's a lot of times we don't understand the consequences. So I want to ask you guys, is it fun to spank your child? Is it fun to spank your child? No. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what is she looking for when she comes to you? Was what he did wrong? Yes, you're on my side. That's what she's looking for. She's not looking for make me feel better. She's looking for justification for what she did before the spanking came. And that's kind of hard to put together. She, and, and that's the flesh. She's not, she's not consciously going, you know what, how can I get back at him? Hmm. She's not contemplating that in her mind. The flesh naturally goes to, I want justification for what I did. I want to do what I want to do, and that's all there is to it. My grandson is a little, he's a year and a half old uh, almost now, and, and he doesn't want to sit in a chair. He wants to, he, he's, a, he's an eater. Oh, man. <laughs> but he'll eat, and when he's done eating, he'll throw the food. But if you get a plate and you go sit down somewhere immediately after he's done and he's made it clear that he doesn't want to eat more, what do you got? <laughs> I want what you have. No, you're going to sit up here and eat what you have. You're going to eat yours. No, I want yours. And that's, that's every single one of us can relate to that. Um, but the question back to, is it fun to spank your kid? No, it's not fun. But what does that teach them? It teaches them that when I say no, you have to understand it's for your own safety because next month 
We may be outside, and you may go running for the street, and when I say no, I want you to stop because I don't want you to get hurt. And, and that child doesn't know that. That child doesn't see that. All they know is that if I don't listen to what mom and dad say when they say no, I'm going to have a sore bottom. But when they grow up, they go, wow. They knew a thing or two. <laughs> you know? Um, they'll never, well, it takes 30 years. Yeah, because I think I told my dad about 10 years ago, and I'm in my 50s now. My dad asked me the question. He goes, I don't know why God's kept me around this long. And I said, because you have a stubborn son. <laughs> I said, you know me, Dad. And I said, that's why God kept you around. I said, I still have questions about life things. And I said, God's given you the answer so that you can tell me. And I said, I said, yeah, I've got my church, and I've got a lot of wisdom in there, too. But I said, there's some things that only Dad can tell me. And, and sometimes, you know, in our culture today, that's a big, big part of the reason why Satan's goal is to destroy the family. Because destruction of the family breaks down the picture of salvation and the order of the gospel message coming from the Father in heaven to the husband, to the wife, to the children. And if he can do that, and he's been very successful, you know, um, if he's able to do that, it becomes the picture of, of salvation. It, it makes the picture very blurry. It makes it very hard to understand. Um, I think I'm going to stop right there. Uh, I thank you for your attention. We're going to pick up. I'm going to ask you guys, if you'll read, just read chapter 10 uh, before we get back together next week. Uh, and bring some of your thoughts. Uh, and and the, the teaching that, that Paul is bringing forward um, is, is just making the stand for righteousness, making the stand for holiness, and then allowing whatever happens as a result of that to fall at Jesus' feet, realizing that the reward to come, uh, it, again, is going to be in heaven. And so I thank you for your attention. God bless you guys. Have a happy Easter this morning.